So welcome, welcome. And, and I hear that um, uh, there's three people that braved it out. The others just disappeared. Is Shah not here? He didn't say all that. He, so it's my responsibility to give you the, the rest of the details uh, <laughs> of people that actually stuck it out. So Joe stuck it out and, uh, and Brian did and Scott. Let's give them a hand. This is really good. These are the brave souls, the brave souls. And the others said, have a good night. We're going to go to our bed now. <laughs> um, so maybe next time it'll be the whole church. I, I was talking to someone outside, and um, I have no idea why did I decide to go uh, bow tie less. Um, no bow tie, no necktie. Um, I just decided to wear this uh, Chicago Marathon shirt today. I have no idea why. I don't know if it's going to stick. Um, I'm going to try it with my students also and see if it works. Um, but I was, would you like to join? Should we go? Sorry. Oh, Chicago Marathon. Yay. <laughs> Thank you. Maybe that was it. That was it. Well, you know, there are times when I think about um, having a church service outside where we just go for a run, a walk, and, um, and I think Gina is planning something, right? Gina, <laughs> we, we're planning something in the fall uh, where we'll do stuff outside. Um, it'll be a surprise, so she'll let you know. Um, it's, um, I, I've been thinking about uh, a lot that's going on in the world, and, and I think it'll be good for us to spend uh, a little bit of time in prayer before we actually dive into our sermon today. Um, my heart is very, very burdened for um, what's going on in Hong Kong. And of course, Carson's here with his dear fiance from Hong Kong, Kathy. And uh, um, I would encourage us to um, not block out the national news. But, you know, we just go so locked up in this one thing that we want to do in CNN and Fox News and all that. And we don't care about what's going on in other parts of the world where we need to be praying about our sisters and brothers who are going through a hard time in mainland China, in, in Korea, North Korea, in Afghanistan. There's uh, you know, been an election there. People are dying because they want to just go cast votes. That's all they want to do. But there's bombs going off and there is our sisters and brothers who are going through a hard time. Um, so let's pray. Let's pray for, um, for uh, people who are suffering a lot. Um, this is also, um, um, uh, tomorrow is the beginning in, um, in um, the Jewish calendar of the, the biblical Jewish calendar uh, of something that's called Rosh Hashanah. It's, uh, it's kind of the remembrance of the creation of the world, that God created the world in seven days, and, and God said it was God. And, and so it's a recognition of the fact that we as human beings have done bad things in, in, in society and in creation and to creation. So we need to be also taking the lead, I think, from... Our, our, our young people like Greta Thunberg, you know, 15 years old, 
who, uh, an amazing woman, I've not met her myself, but I've gone and done a little bit of protesting and, um, in Sweden, along with the young people, along with the 15, 16-year-old young people, just stood outside the, um, the parliament building there and said, this is God's creation, and we need to take care of God's good creation. And we'll be talking about some of that um, so let us remember our, um, our sisters and brothers that are going through a hard time in Pakistan, in, in Hong Kong, in mainland China. And perhaps um, I'll want to bring some of my students from mainland China who will come and share with you about what their families are going through. Um, some of them are daughters and sons of pastors of house churches. And they're going through a rough, rough time. Uh, many times they will write papers for me and they'll say, I hope you don't give it to anyone else. And I said, no, this is just for me to read and grade because they're scared of what can happen to their loved ones in mainland China um, and places like that. So... Um, I'm going to request one of you, as the Spirit of God leads you to, to lead us in prayer aloud. Would you please? I think we can all hear each other. So um, just one of you, if you'd pray for situations in the world. This is a calendar that um, is put out by the Evangelical Covenant Church. It's the prayer calendar of missionaries that are serving in these areas, in Kazakhstan, in Russia, in in Afghanistan, in mainland China, Hong Kong. So would you, I would encourage you to, um, for us to get, maybe as a church we could get copies of this, and for every day there is a person that we can pray for. Bob Shim is a covenant missionary who, who is in Kazakhstan, but he's responsible for all of Asia. Um, Someone who's been uh, an amazing man of God from um, the, the first Asian-American ch covenant church in Chicago. Um, uh, and so he has been serving. He's a medical doctor. His wife is a psychologist. So maybe when they're here, we can have them come and share. But would you get this so that we pray? We pray every day for our sisters and brothers who are doing amazing stuff in very, very hard situations. So as the Spirit of God leads you, would one of you lead us in prayer, please? Let's pray. Oh Lord, hear our prayers, and we pray that you would respond. Respond, respond to these prayers, O oh Lord, and, and uh, may your gospel so transform societies in these areas. And as we prepare our hearts to listen to your word, O oh Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Our ears are open, O oh Lord. O oh Holy Spirit, come descend among us that we may hear your voice, that we may be caught up with your heart for the world, that we may know you. So hear our prayers. In the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, we pray. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Would you arise with me and let's read this passage for today. We are uh, resuming our, um, our series on um, following Jesus, looking to Jesus, the great pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him suffered on our behalf. Now, I, I do want to take issue with English translations, which I do all the time. Uh, it says pioneer and perfecter. You know what the word is? It's the word finisher. So we know we cannot be perfect. Be perfect, says um, one of the English translations. Uh, be perfect, but we cannot really be perfect. We won't be perfect till we go to be with Jesus. The, the word that's used there both in Greek and in Hebrew is be a finisher. Prepare yourself to be a finisher. So as we look to Jesus, he is the pioneer and the finisher of this run. And we want to look at places where people like Abraham and others learn to be finishers through hard times. And this is one of the hard times that we will be reflecting on. From Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20 together. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe, and he was about to enter Egypt. He said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, then they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Of course, then it goes into Genesis chapter 13, and we'll reflect a little bit on that. Would you sit down, please? Um, and let's reflect on this passage. What, what a powerful passage. What a powerful passage it is. And what a change, because um, two weeks ago we dove into the life of Abram, and, you know, it was such a, such a great beginning to his journey. Um, he's, he, 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 he listened to God's Word, the memory of God, the creative word of God, the, the transformative word of God, uh, and, and then he took decisive decisions. 
Lech Lecha, God said, and he, uh, he uh, pondered over it and, and then took decisive decisions to, to move out, to, to go to this place that God is showing him. He made decisive breaks with his past. He, he also stepped out into the unknown, the land that I'll show you. And so we, we look at Abraham, we say, Abraham, come on, you started this, this marathon journey. Uh, this is going to be great. The start is great. And, and then something happens, right? Something happens right after that. Everything is going well. He has established altars. And you say, go, Abram, you're doing well. Keep going. Then you come to verse 10 where it says, and there was a famine. So you'd say, Abram, come on, you're you're such a great man of faith. You started this journey. What is famine? Famine's nothing. Um, Keep going. Famine. Obviously, the word famine in the Hebrew is very poignant. It's a very powerful word. It refers to not just the famine of food, which is there in a lot of places, and we find in Chicago itself. If you go to the south side, there are places that are called food deserts. Do you know that? There is, there's places where no, no fresh food is available. You get old canned food that we throw from our Whole Foods and our Dominic's and our nice stores that are here, all that's refuse goes there, and all they have to eat is those, I don't know, 15-year-old cans or something like that. No fresh food. So famine is a very powerful word, and it's a, it's a very vast word. In the Bible itself, the word famine is ra'av, ra'av. And very often in the rest of the Bible, it parallels something that is translated as evil, and that's the word ra. And evil defines economic evil, social evil, farming evil, all kinds of evil. Gender inequality, racial inequality, all of those things in the rest of the Bible are termed as raw. It's evil, and it leads to famine. When there's a famine of the Word of God, for example, in Amos chapter 8, that is associated with evil. You did all this evil, says the prophet Amos. So because you did all this evil, you're going to endure ra'av. Ra and ra'av. Ra and ra'av. And, and so we don't know what happened here. The, 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 you have to sometimes assume the context of the word of God. But whenever there is famine of whatever kind it is, It's always associated with evil in society. And you would think that Abraham would want to come to grips with what is the evil behind this? What is the evil behind this? Uh, I... um, my 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 uh, colleagues at North Park University they kind of you know look at me and they said 
I don't know why do you do all this, you know, go and be an interim teaching pastor at a place. And then, and then I have on Wednesdays a time with the faculty where we reflect, where we, where we um, uh, eat lunch together, and then we reflect on what is the meaning of teaching, uh, teaching our fields for vocation from a biblical perspective. So we have lunch, and then on one day a week we watch movies. I watch movies with students, and we reflect on what is, what is the significance of this movie. So last week, we watched a movie f- which was produced in India, and it's called Peeply Live. Peeply Live. I don't know how many of you have seen it. Has anyone seen it? No one's seen it here? Shah, you haven't seen it? That's horrible. You should see it. Okay. <laughs> so um, Peeply Live is, it deals with an issue in India. Joe? Nine. That's just niche quote. You've got to change that. Can you, can you talk to him about it, Soji? She will. Okay. So, Peeply Live, it engages with the issue that in India, thousands of farmers commit suicide. In one state alone, called Maharashtra, where Joe and Soji come from, kind of, um, 60,000 per year in one state. I mean, think about it. We don't talk about this stuff like this, right? In, in, in our news, I say, come on, there's stuff going on in the world. Let's talk about this. Every 10 minutes, there's a suicide, suicide in this one state. Thousands of people, farmers. Why? Because they don't, ha- they are in debt to these high caste people who loan them money for their farms to buy the seeds which are produced by these GMO companies. And they go into debt and into debt and into debt, and then finally they commit suicide. How many in one state? 60,000 per year. This is sociological ramifications economic ramifications, agricultural ramifications, all kinds of ramifications, which was happening during the time of Amos. It was happening during the time of the prophets of the late period before people went into exile. Do you know why did people go into exile? Because of all these reasons. You come to the very end of the Hebrew Bible, which is 2 Chronicles chapter 36. It says, you did all this evil, so you're going to go into exile. Those are the things that this first section of the Bible wants us to grapple with, that there is evil which leads to famine, and it's famine of all different kinds. And I often say, when I'm teaching at North Park University, is, is, I say this, that you're studying economics, you're studying sociology, you're studying psychology, you're studying all this stuff, music and all that, to deal with evil in society, and how do you bring about God's good in society? You're not just doing economics and macroeconomics and microeconomics and public policy and all that just for the sake of doing that. You're doing it so that you deal with evil and bring about God's goodness in society by God's grace and God's enabling. And I wish Abraham had done that. 
gone to God in prayer. What does Abraham do? Look at this. It says there was a famine in the land. And you would think Abraham would be spending time in prayer and asking for God's guidance to deal with the situation there. What does he do? He goes down. And to us, of course, it doesn't mean very much. You know, he goes down, he goes down, so he goes down. What, is, what does going down mean? But for the original reader, the word going down is the word yarad, which is related to a river called Yardan, which we mispronounce and call Jordan. And there's light bulbs going on in the original readers of the Bible. They're saying, this is not going to be good. Abraham, don't do this. It's not going to be good. Well, of course, we don't say that because we read it as going down, right? But the early readers will say, Abraham, don't you know? The River Jordan begins at a very high note, at the Golan Heights and all those places. But it goes down. It goes down. It goes down. For 120 miles, it goes down, and it goes down, and it goes down. Do you know where does it end? It ends in the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on earth. Why is it called the Dead Sea? Because nothing is alive in the Dead Sea. Everything is dead in the Dead Sea. And if you don't know how to swim, that's the only place you go to because you can swim there. It's the Dead Sea. That's the only place where I can swim, I want to confess. <laughs> I cannot swim anywhere else. I don't know how to swim. You know, I was in a, in a slum which was not near a river, so you don't learn to swim. So to this day, I cannot swim. And um, I go with my grandkids and pretend to stand there. And I say, you swim. I, I cannot swim. <laughs> but on the Dead Sea, I can swim because you just float there. And nothing is alive there. And the original readers will say, Abram, don't do that. Yes, it is a slow downfall. It happens very slowly. You cannot notice it. But eventually it ends up in the Dead Sea. And that's what's happening to Abram. He's going down just like the River Jordan. And that's the problem with life, isn't it? We start at a high note, and then we go down, we go down, we go down, ever so slowly. It starts with that nice friendship that we have, and we continue that friendship outside our marriage, and we continue that friendship outside our marriage. It starts with that little peep in that pornography site, and we start... And it happens so slowly, so, so very slowly. It, we, we have anger, inbuilt anger against this person. And it's a little bit of a tinge. And then it becomes bigger and it becomes bigger until it takes over our whole life. And we go into depression and whatever it is. You see, that is what happens with the River Jordan. And what the original reader, as the original reader is leading this text in Hebrew, is saying, Abraham, take a hold of your life right now before you end up in the Dead Sea. Take a hold of your life right now. This is going to be a bad run. 
But Abraham doesn't do that. So look at what happens. What's the next bad decision he makes? The first bad response is the downward response. The second bad response is what, is what I call the, the degenerative response, in which it says here, Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while. And look at these translators and say, what are you doing with the text? Because the word that's used there is not just to live there. That seems like a very innocent thing to do, right? I want to live there for a while, you know, and then when things are all right, I'll return back. That's not what it's saying in the Hebrew. It's saying he becomes a part of the whoop and wharf of society. That's what happens with life. When you and I go down, we go down ever so slowly, ever so slowly, until we become a part of the society. And there is no difference between the society and us. We do things that the rest of the society does, and we rationalize it, and we say, that's okay, that's okay. Everyone does it. That Christian leader, you saw him, he does it too. Why can't I do it? That leader? Yes, that person does it too. Why can't I do it? We rationalize it. And we, we come up with all kinds of reasons why we should be doing the same thing. But the text is saying, no, Abram, don't become a part of the warp and woof of society. Because this is not going to be God. Look at what he does further. It says, for, live there for a little while. Actually, it, the, the, the word literally means he becomes a resident alien there. That's the word, gar. He becomes a resident alien there. This is that part in life which is okay when you and I become a part of the warp and woof of society. We do things like the rest of the society does, but we still have this tinge, this feeling in there which says, no, I shouldn't be doing this. Yes, I'm a part of this, but I shouldn't be doing this. I'm a part of this, but I shouldn't be doing this. And that's an okay phase to be because it's still a place where we can return back. Come back to square one, Abram. And I think in our life, we need to constantly examine that. When we go back to bed at night and we spend time in prayer, if God brings that to our mind, we should return back and we should say, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. But Abraham does not. Look at what he does. Verse 11, as he was about to enter into Egypt, he's not gone, returned back, right? So now this is a long journey. He's about to enter into Egypt, and he looks at his wife, and he says, my goodness, you're so pretty. You know, suddenly he realizes. I think this is the first time he said that to his wife. I don't, it's, it's like in, you know, in African society, I, I would talk to my African friends, I would say, you know, what do you say to your wife? Do you say, I love you? They say, no, I never say, I love you, I eat her food. That's telling her I love her. Do you see that? <laughs> um, so, in Middle Eastern society, you never say that. I, I would say to my dad, you know, when I came to the United States, I'll say, I love you, dad, and he'll say, hmm, 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 hmm. You know, because he didn't know how to respond to, I love you. Um, 
You don't do that in an India. So here he looks at her and he says, My goodness, you're so pretty. And the word that's used there is not describing this inner sense of prettiness. It is describing the outward thing. Who is your wife? Is she just a sexual object that you have sex with? When you want to? Who is this person? Do you use her just like a a product that you can take advantage of when you want to? That's what Abraham is saying here. They look at you. They look at you. Instead of saying, no, you are my person, my wife, we are one. You are created in the image of God. You are a strong woman of God. And I love you for all that God has made you to be. And I'm so thankful that you're my wife. All he sees her is like this sexual object. And then the next step there, not only does he, 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 um, he goes there, but then he becomes a drama queen. He said, well, they're going to look at you and they say that you're so... Pre-. Now remember, she's 75 years old, okay? <laughs> she is not 20 years old. And he's still, you know, got this jealousy thing about him. And he says, they're going to take you. He doesn't care about that. He says, they're going to kill me. They're going to take you. They're going to kill me. And, and the word that's used in Hebrew, it's so powerful because that's his only concern. Well, they're going to kill me. They're going to let you live. I don't care what they do to you. But they're going to kill me. Don't you understand that? They're going to kill me. Drama queen. And then look at that. Look at the fifth bad response. Then he forces her to lie. And this is not really a lie. This is actually a white lie. Because, you know, the father is the same and uh, the mother is different. So this is like his half-sister. So he's not really lying. He said, I'm not lying. Come on, this is just the truth. But don't tell the whole truth. He's forcing her to lie. Do you know that, um, well, I have had to have had to, and I'm, I know this is being recorded and all that, but I've had to officiate over one wedding, which, which, which was between second cousins. You, you can do that. In, 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 in global society in the United States, second cousins can marry each other. It's, um, it's, it's okay. It's legal. First cousins in certain states cannot get married. Um, I think 24 states. You cannot get married. Of course, when I tell my students this, they go, yuck. But, but you know, it, uh, it happens. So first cousins in 19 states, you're not allowed. I'll let you do all the research work on that in case you're thinking of marrying a first cousin or a, or a second. If you're a second cousin, then it's okay. It's okay. I will officiate over your wedding. So, but in ancient times, it was okay for them to do that kind of a thing. You know, this is the half-sister. But she's your wife now, Abram. You're asking her to lie? 
And then look at it, it goes even further. So Abram, why is he doing that? He wants to become rich. He wants to pretend like he's the brother. I don't care what's going to happen to you. I want to get all the dowry this Egyptian king can give me. Let him give me all the Mercedes-Benz, all the Maseretis, all the land that he has. Of course, it's, it has all those animals and all that. That's what it means, right? And nowadays, we don't want all those animals. We want cars and we want houses. And, and that's what he gives him. He is pretending to be the brother so that he would become rich. This is the lowest of low a human being can get to. Do you see what happens? How does the river go down? And we can go on about it a little more, but I'm going to stop there with these six bad responses. And then I want to go on into the response of God. Verse 17, the Lord inflicted plagues. It says serious diseases in the, in the New International Version. Literally, it's plagues, like in Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 11, Exodus chapter 4, where God intervenes. And I like that. Despite our human weaknesses and getting into a part of the evil in society, God breaks through. And he inflicts plagues upon Pharaoh, upon his household. And then it goes on to say, reading on from verse 17, the Lord inflicted plagues on Pharaoh and his household because, it says, because of Abram's wife, Sarai. But, 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 but literally the word, the, the phrase there is not because of his wife, Sarai. But literally in Hebrew, it's, it is upon the word of. She was a woman of worth. She didn't listen to Abram. She stuck by her word and told the truth. Don't you like that? Abram, I don't care what you say, but I'm going to stick by the truth. And she said the truth. Because of it, notice Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh goes to Abram and he says, Hey, guy, out of here. This is like the kick of today's football. What's his name? Pinero. Eddie Pinero. Hopefully he'll do well. So that's what, that's what he does. He says, you go. And the word that's used there is the same word that God uses in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1. Abram, you yourself go. Now it's a pagan king who kicks him out and says, think about it. And I think sometimes we need that kick, isn't it? When we are like Abram, we need that kick from our pagan neighbors. And that's when Abram comes to his senses and he makes the right decision. Do you know what is that? Chapter 13 and verse 1. So Abram went up. It started with he goes down, and it ends with Abram goes up. So in life's journey, yes, there will be crises. It's our response to crises that is important. 
And my prayer is that we would return back before we do awful things like Abram did. And go up to God and say, Lord, I messed up. I'm so sorry. But before I reach the Dead Sea, I want to return back to you because I want to finish this race and finish it well.